I'm in a Facebook group called Kentucky Unknown. It's great. It's a lot of fun. If you're not on that Facebook group, you've got to join it. And recently someone posted an article from the Travel Channel called Five Things to Know About the Mysterious Bermuda Triangle of Kentucky. Now, the legends of the real Bermuda Triangle go way back. I mean, we're talking 1500s, maybe earlier. So our Bermuda Triangle stories are obviously more modern, but they're still pretty interesting. And once I looked into it a little more, I thought, yeah, this this should be an episode. So I'm going to tell you all about some of the strange things that have happened in this area to give it the nickname, the Bermuda Triangle of Kentucky. And our journey starts near Maysville, Kentucky, which sits on the Ohio River about halfway between Cincinnati, Ohio and Huntington, West Virginia. Now, this story starts in 1992. Uh, A barge sinks near the Kentucky shoreline in West Maysville. Okay, so it's just sitting there at the bottom of the river and you know, it's near the shoreline, so it's it can't be in that deep of water, I don't think. But two years later, there was a salvage operation conducted to raise the sunken barge. And for this operation, they had decided to use two Navy minesweepers, which I bet was pretty cool to watch. I've never personally seen a Navy minesweeper on the Ohio River. So uh, the idea was that they would connect these two minesweepers with this big beam and they would attach a crane to that beam connecting both of the ships and so it it became like a makeshift salvage barge but it didn't work so those two minesweepers ended up getting stuck in the mud okay and then a towboat shows up to get them out and as the towboat is in there trying to save the day its engine fails. So now the inventory is one barge, two minesweepers, and this towboat that are now just all out of commission. And so the next vessel to show up is a salvage barge, the real deal, and uh, it was called the Hercules. Okay, you've seen these. They're, They're the big barges that have the, you know, the tall cranes on them. So the salvage barge arrives, and while it's hoisting the first barge, the crane on the Hercules broke right as the other barge was reaching the surface. So they almost had it. But instead of pulling up the first barge, the Hercules sinks too. It ends up sinking right on top of the first barge. Now I'm sure everyone involved was absolutely losing their minds at that point and just wanting to get the hell out of there. I was looking up salvage barges for sale, and while there's a wide range of prices, no matter how you swing it, that was an expensive day for somebody. And somehow after that, after the Hercules sinks, both minesweepers and the towboat ended up sinking as well. So just everything involved is now underwater. This entire operation was named after the guy in charge. It was called John Beatty's Navy, or John Beatty, uh, B-E-A-T-T-Y. I do want to give you one quote from John Beatty, who is a big deal and a big guy, big personality. Uh, So I found this article uh, about him from WCPO Cincinnati, and here's this quote from him. Quote, 
The way to know a river man is that he talks of nothing but women when aboard and nothing but boats when ashore. (laughs) My river rat friends will appreciate that, I think. So anyway, later on, uh, Steve Wright, an Army Corps of Engineers spokesperson, would say that John Beatty's Navy fell victim to, quote, the Bermuda Triangle of the Ohio River. Now, I also want to read you part of an article about the wreckage from a Cincinnati Post article in 1998, just because I, I found this article and I love how like dramatic the writing is. So this was written by um, Monica Diaz. Quote, the Ohio River has bested the Hercules, a once mighty barge with a crane that could lift sunken vessels, sapped of its strength. The Hercules rests at the bottom of the river, only its crane and two steel beams jutting above the water near the shoreline. Next to it, a towboat lies partially submerged, its pilot house listing like a drunken sailor. And next to that, the rusting hull of an old Navy minesweeper breaks the river's surface like the belly of a dead whale. There's a post about all of this on the Brown County, Ohio Facebook page, and they had some pictures of wreckage that's from this operation, and some of the people in the comments were going, oh, that's so cool, I've always wondered what that wreckage is from because I drive by it all the time. So if you've ever seen it from a boat or maybe from the Ohio side, uh, now you know. Uh, But in the comment section of that post, it was said that uh, that part of the river by the wreckage is a good fishing spot, so for you fishermen out there, and also that it is very creepy to go past on your boat. Uh, It's got a very weird vibe, which I get that. Um, Although there weren't any casualties, there's something about ship wreckage that is always creepy, in my opinion. It's just... um, one of those things. Now, this is kind of cool. Someone named Shannon Dotson commented that one of the minesweepers that's wrecked there is the USS Fixity, decorated two stars in World War II. So naturally, I had to look into the history of this ship. It sailed from San Pedro, California on March 4th, 1945 to train in the Hawaiian Islands for the rest of that month. Then it crossed the Pacific on convoy escort duty to Eniwetok, Yolithi, and Okinawa. From her arrival there in May, Fixity took station in the inner screen, protecting the masses of shipping at the island. And on June 22nd, driving off a lone Japanese airplane which attempted to attack her. She served on patrol and escort at Okinawa until August 30th, then began minesweeping operations off Korea. Fixity arrived at Sasebo on September 10th, 1945, and based there for sweeping operations in Japanese waters until February of 1946. Then she sailed home. She did earn two battle stars in service in the Pacific during the war. After that, she was sold to the Jeffersonville Boat Machine Company out of Jeffersonville, Indiana. She was converted to river service in 1949 and renamed Commercial Dixie. 
She was later sold to the Cincinnati Marine Service of Covington, Ohio, and then she sank on that salvage operation near Maysville, Kentucky. What a bummer ending to such a lustrous career. Lustrous? Lustrous? Lustrous. Um, so yeah, I mean, I thought that was worth mentioning. It kind of adds a more historic element to an already bizarre story. Um, but as you might imagine, the city of Maysville was not thrilled about having this boat graveyard visible right there on its shoreline. Um, but there wasn't much they could do. Because moving those big boats, again, is very expensive and obviously very tricky. Um, it would be a huge operation. And because the sunken vessels weren't a threat to navigation, and still aren't, uh, the Coast Guard and the Army Corps won't pay to move them. Now, there was a guy uh, named Mr. Wallace. I couldn't find his first name. But Wallace was the owner of a salvage company called Underwater Constructors, and he moved his rescue boats to Maysville in October of 97, which is interesting timing, because uh, I'm sure a lot of you remember there was terrible flooding in 97, okay? But that's the year Wallace brought his boats up to Maysville, and he bought the barge. He bought the, the first barge, the original one, that had sunk sank and he promised to have it raised by October 1st 1998 um, first though he focused on some easier jobs in the area so pulling up some other wreckage selling them for scrap but then Wallace broke his ankle and his wrist in May which shut down the operation for six weeks then flooding sank his diving barge so then he had to raise his own barge after that, thieves went in and stole $20,000, uh, all the diving helmets, all his fishing poles. They even stole a cooler. So this Mr. Wallace is just straight up not having a good time at this point. Things are not going the way he wanted um, on the Ohio River. And then he couldn't even find anyone to rent him a floating crane, which he would need to lift the minesweepers. Um... Things were going so badly, he had to lay off five of his employees, which left just himself and two other crew members to do all this work. Um, eventually, he cut his losses, packed up, and went home. And so that, I mean, it's just string after string of bad luck and things going wrong. And so that is the portion of the Kentucky-Bermuda Triangle that is actually in the water. Okay, but that's just one point of it. Um, now, there are loose interpretations of where this triangle would actually have its points, you know, because weird things happen all over the state of Kentucky, as you all know by now. But as I'm looking at this particular story and looking at the map, the triangle is very clear when you include the next two points I'm going to talk about. So next, we're going to head down to Clay County, Kentucky. Okay, this is south. It's um, Manchester. It's on the way to Harlan and Hazard and Middlesboro. Okay, down there. People disappear in Clay County.
I don't know if you all picked up on it, but I'm not sure that I'm great at talking about uh, shipwrecks and salvaging wreckage. That's uh, that's not my... I didn't take a class in that in college. Um, I did take Intro to Criminal Justice, though. So now we're going to talk about some missing persons. This is, this is interesting. So since 2016, six people in Clay County and in the Redbird area have gone missing and have never been found. And they just all vanished without a trace. It started on March 27th, 2016. Oh, by the way, if you expand the area a little bit and look a little further outside of the, the, the area we're talking about, the number of people gets bigger. There, there are more than six if you look at a little wider area. But we're going to talk about just in this concentrated area for the sake of this story. And it starts on March 27th, 2016, when 30-year-old Angela Smith goes missing. A few months later, 30-year-old Cecil Burkhart is reported missing. On February 3rd, 2018, 38-year-old Steve Best goes missing. On October 22nd, 2020, 49-year-old David Campbell goes missing. And just two days later, 21-year-old Michaela Collette is reported missing. And on December 15th, 2020, 69-year-old Robert Estep goes deer hunting, and is never heard from again. Now on March 6th of this year, 2021, two people went out mushroom hunting in the area. And what they were not expecting to find that day was a skull. Located at a bridge on Kentucky 66, right at the Clay-Leslie County line. Okay, And it had recently flooded when that first skull turned up. And then just a few days later, a second skull was found on the riverbank at Gilbert's Creek, which was just a few miles from that first skull. So six people missing vanished um, in a little over four years. And now all of a sudden, two skulls recovered. What's going on in the Redbird area? Are we looking at a serial killer? So the skulls were sent to a forensic anthropologist in Knoxville. And as far as I can tell, they haven't been ID'd. And so these could be from, they could be old. They could be from something totally separate from these missing people. So the big question, of course, right, are they related? And if it's a serial killer, it's a highly unusual situation because the victim profile is so different in all of these cases. Serial killers typically aren't going after 21-year-old girls and 69-year-old men. Um, It's not out of the realm of possibility. It would just be pretty unusual. I will say that on web sleuths, people have brought up some interesting questions. One is that the 21-year-old, Michaela, she wasn't reported missing until nine days after she was last seen or heard from. And she has a young child. So the obvious question there is, why would it take over a week for anyone to report this young woman missing? Someone else on Web Sleuths commented, quote, I've been watching this area because of some body dumps and other missing people in surrounding counties. I wonder if they are connected. Uh, this same person on Web Sleuths also linked to 
two additional missing persons cases, one of a 31-year-old woman who disappeared about an hour from Clay County in 2013, um, and then the other was a 31-year-old who disappeared from the same town in 2015, okay, also an hour away. There are other weird small details about these disappearances that add to the mystery of these cases. For example, Angela Smith, she's the one who went missing in 2016. Let me read you part of an article about her disappearance. Quote, 30-year-old Angela Smith of Clay County has been missing for more than a month. Angela's sister, Donna Fryman, says she grew worried when no one in their family heard from Angela on Easter Day, March 27th. Donna went to police later that day and learned the home on Little Creek Road where Angela lived with her boyfriend had burned to the ground days earlier. Police say the last time anyone has seen Angela was March 12th. Kentucky State Police tell us they've had cadaver dogs at the site of what's left of the home, but found nothing suspicious. Police say they aren't sure if the 30-year-old's disappearance and the fire are tied together. KSP says Angela's boyfriend has been interviewed several times. For some of them, it's harder to find details about them. Uh, Steve Best and Cecil Burkhart are both reported to have had substance abuse issues. You can find several mugshots for Cecil Burkhart. Um, I believe he had a meth addiction. Um, I don't have details on Steve Best. He's the one with the least amount of information out there. But on the Charlie Project's website, it does say he had a history of drug abuse and unspecified health issues. But this next one, uh, David Campbell, he's the next person to go missing, and he was disabled. Um, Campbell had Parkinson's. He had strokes. He was on daily medication that he desperately needed. I mean, he had to take this medicine every day. And so for him to go missing was especially scary for his family. He was not in a position to just run off and leave his life. I mean, it, obviously. And so... His story is different, too, because while the others, it, they almost weren't, it wasn't as much of an emergency for, for these other people to go missing in the first day or two. But for David Campbell, his family called 911 the day everyone realized he was missing. And then remember, just two days later is when Michaela Collette goes missing. And less than two months later, Robert Estep disappears. Okay, so those three, to me, are even more alarming. Um, they happened in such quick succession, and they were people that, I want to say, were almost just less likely to be the type to walk out of their lives. It's a weird set of missing persons, no matter how you come at it. Maybe they aren't all related, but I, I can't help but feel like at least some of them are. Um, but they aren't, they're all very different profiles. Like I said, um, a few of them may have abused drugs, but not all of them, all different ages, different genders, different backgrounds. It's very strange and add those two skulls and it's just a total mystery, but wait, there's more besides 
just the missing persons cases, something else strange has happened in that area. Um, it is believed to have been visited by a UFO in 1986. So it's that classic case of different people in different locations seeing the same thing on the same night. Roosevelt Spurlock was one of these people. And how much do you love that name? Roosevelt Spurlock. Great name. So he was relaxing on the front porch of his house. And Margie Turner and Mary Helton were at the Countryside Restaurant, kind of nearby. And then Vernon Stidham, 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 he was at his home in Redbird. And then a woman who wished to remain anonymous and her daughter were near uh, Bear Creek. And they all reported seeing a large square object with red lights and windows hovering just over the big hills in Bullskin. Um, I believe they're talking about Bullskin Creek in Clay County. Now, around the time that this happened, an air traffic controller at London Airport said it must have just been a large plane in the area that they all saw. But all the witnesses insisted that the, what they saw was not just some ordinary airplane. It was like nothing they'd ever seen before. One of the witnesses said, quote, It was the scariest thing I've ever seen to this day. The dogs were barking and going crazy, and my family ran and got their guns and made us all go in the house. To this day, I still say that was not an airplane. A state police dispatcher said there were reports of a large plane around 10 p.m. that Tuesday night that was losing altitude and flying at approximately 6,000 feet. Roosevelt Spurlock was a forest ranger with the Peabody Ranger Station, and he too agreed that whatever he saw was no regular airplane. Quote, It was the scariest thing I have ever encountered, he said. I was sitting on my front porch, and it came over the Bullskin Mountains, barely cutting the mountaintops. It had two front red lights and two back red lights. It was square-looking and extremely large. Controllers at the London airport said that if the object they got reports on was flying at approximately 6,000 feet, it still would have hardly been noticeable in the sky. It, it wouldn't have caused all the hubbub that was going on. So how do you explain what all these people saw? Quote, this thing circled and came back traveling at a very slow speed, Roosevelt Spurlock said. Quote, no plane could go that slow. The anonymous mother and daughter also said they saw the craft sort of stop and hover, unlike anything else they'd ever seen. In the days following the sighting, radio stations were flooded with phone calls of more witnesses sharing their accounts of what they saw in the sky that night. Most of the accounts gave extremely similar descriptions. Very large, square, loud whistling noise with lights and windows. Later, sources at the London airport apparently told the media that what these people saw was a C-5A galaxy plane, which was the largest plane in the world at that time, typically used for transporting cargo. Okay, so look this guy up, a C-5A galaxy. It is massive, 380,000 pounds. Top speed is 580 miles per hour. But here's the deal. It looks nothing like 
what all those people described seeing that night. So a guy from the airport said he talked with a pilot who confirmed he was flying as low as 4,000 feet, which would have made that plane look pretty big from the ground. And apparently it's a pretty loud plane. So that could explain the noises they heard. But everyone said the craft they saw was square, that it hovered, and that it had windows. Look at a picture of the C5A galaxy. It's obviously not square. It probably would never hover, and it doesn't have any windows. Some of the witnesses have passed away, but those who are still around insist that what they saw that night was not a C5A galaxy cargo plane. I have to be honest, I've been watching The X-Files for the first time. I'm on season four. I actually just watched the band episode, Home, last night. It's pretty gnarly. I can see why it would get banned. Um, but yeah, it just watching The X-Files just makes me want to see a UFO so bad, badly. And um, if you guys have ever seen a UFO, write in and tell me about it, kyhistoryhaunts at gmail.com, because... I just want to live vicariously through you. Um, I want to believe. (laughs) But anyway, um, that rounds up point two of our Kentucky-Bermuda Triangle. And the third point of that triangle is Somerset, which happens to be home to one of my favorite places, a little treasure called the International Paranormal Museum and Research Center, which I talk more about in the Maple Hill Manor episode. So if you want to hear more about that... um, and my experience there. Go back and find that Maple Hill Manor episode. Now, Somerset is included in this triangle because something unusual is happening under Pulaski County. And I'm actually not going to get into this too deeply because instead, I'm going to give you a recommendation for another podcast series that covers this thoroughly, and it's called Penny Royal. But I do want to read you a quote from the guys that do this podcast. Quote, Most people probably don't realize that beneath Pulaski County is located the largest spike of the Earth's geomagnetic field in the Western Hemisphere. NASA refers to this as the Kentucky Anomaly. It's so strong that the surface gravity in Pulaski County is different than anywhere else in North America. One of the things we explore in Penny Royal is whether or not these intense geomagnetic fields can affect the brains of the people living here, causing increases in violence or even perceptual distortions manifesting as UFOs. Studies carried out by scientists at various universities have determined that exposure to such intense fields can indeed cause physiological and psychological effects. I'm going to put a link on the website to the unusual Kentucky blog post about this because it's really entertaining and interesting, um, but I, I just think it's so well covered in other places that I'm, I'm not going to even try. Um, but that completes the triangle. Now, there are some strange and unusual things that happen outside of this triangle, of course, but it's those points and inside the triangle that's really just a hotbed of mystery. For example, 
Stanford is along there, where another UFO sighting occurred, perhaps an abduction. Um, I've covered that in a previous episode as well. There are rumors of a satanic sex cult in Pulaski County. I don't even have the energy to go into that one today, but I will provide some links for more about all of this stuff on the website, kyhistoryhaunts.com, and go listen to the Penny Royal podcast. Now, if you all know any more, have any more information about this stuff, I'd love to hear what you've got. I'd love to hear your stories. Um, people have been sending in voice messages, which you can do right from the show notes in the in the podcast episode. I love that. I love hearing your all's voice, and I love like hearing the inflection and the enthusiasm in your stories. Or you can always write me an email, kyhistoryhaunts at gmail.com. As always, thank you so much for listening. Until next time. Thank you.